This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's edition of Ingles on the Beat. And uh, really pleased tonight to bring on AJC's Chip Towers, fellow Georgia beat writer. And I thought Chip would be the perfect guest as I think he's covered about half of these Georgia-George Tech games, <laughs> at least those going back to the 1980s. Chip, thanks for joining me tonight. What was your first Georgia-Georgia Tech game? You know, I was uh, I, I was afraid you might ask me that. And uh, <laughs> uh, it, my actual first Georgia-Georgia Tech game was the old bull pups versus the baby jackets um, game for uh, what was the, uh, I'm trying to think of what the charity was, Eggleston Children's Hospital. And that's when the junior varsity teams used to play on Thanksgiving Day. Now, I believe that was 1984 uh, when I was a student at the University of Georgia working for the Red and Black. And um, I may or may not be correct about that, but uh, my first, you know, really memory uh, as a, I, and I didn't actually cover the game because I, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't on the football coverage team at that time was that same year, 1984. Um, and if I've got this right, and I, I don't know if this is a live commentary situation. Yeah, I think it is. So I know I'll get corrected if I have this wrong. But um, I think that was the game that uh, John Dewberry came to Athens with Georgia Tech he was, had played for Georgia, transferred to Georgia Tech long before the transfer portal and led them to a 35-18 win uh, in Sanford Stadium. And and that was the first time I ever witnessed a, a, a visiting team tearing the hedges out. Yeah, there's a famous picture ran on the cover of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution of John Dewberry with a big long twig in his mouth. And, um, and that, of course, had came – come after a long period of frustration, such as Tech is in right now against Georgia. They obviously dominated them in the early 80s when they were winning three straight SEC championships. Kind of from then to the to 2000, it, it was kind of back and forth. Georgia always won more than it lost, but, you know, Tech was, you know, Georgia went into the Tech game with a, with a considerable trepidation every year. That's not the case uh, in, in present day. No, it wouldn't seem to be. The Bulldogs are a 35-point favorite in this week's game noon. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some people watching. Chip, you know, tonight they, they had the practice, and Kirby had given us a practice report earlier in the day, so I, there wasn't going to be any surprises. Did see Kendall Milton out there with big brace on his leg. I know Kirby said he targeted coming back from this game. I don't see it. I'd be surprised if he's back before the college football playoff games when a Guys wearing a brace that big. I was encouraged to see Dominic Blaylock out there just going through reps like everyone else. And we saw Dom come back that last game. Uh, Nolan Smith was out there with a brace on his elbow. Will he practice? Won't he practice? I don't know. Uh, that's a tough one. Jamari Salyer was out there. Do you give him run? You've given him three weeks off that foot. Maybe he gets a little bit of work. So on the injury front, Pickens out there looking as good as anybody but wearing a black jersey really no real breaking news chip and i guess if you're kirby smart i've got to think you play this game differently than you played the last one i, I know senior day was fun and 
Jordan Davis carried the ball for a touchdown. But if we're being honest about this, I don't know that Georgia got better in that game. And that's something that Kirby always talks about is getting better every game. He didn't like practices. And from what I saw in the game, Chip, other than a couple of runs from Zamir and Cook, I didn't think Georgia looked real sharp. Yeah, you know, it's hard to take a whole lot at all out of that Charleston Southern game. And, you know, this isn't what you asked me about. But, I, you know, I, I, I really, as much as coaches and, and Kirby Smart in particular like to help out, um, you know, the lower division teams, it's just that, you know, that, that, uh, that, that's about run its course of being uh, a possibility to do. And you see the perfect reason right there. Actually, I thought Georgia's crowd was, was, was pretty good. For it was a cold day, cold and windy. Uh, there was a lot of reason not to go, but I, I do think the you know first Georgia being number one in the nation this year, but this having a, an exceptional uh, senior class, I think that brought a lot of people out. But the usefulness of a game like it is good to be able to rest. And Georgia's schedule, you and I have talked about this. I know off air, it, it's really been one of the magical things about this whole season is just how perfect the schedule ended up being set up. I mean, you're playing Charleston Southern in a week, uh, weaker than usual Georgia Tech team at the same time that Alabama, your competitor, is grinding out against Arkansas and, and Auburn next week. I mean, that takes a toll. I don't care what you say. So I think it was good from the standpoint that Georgia rested. But you're right. The way Kirby sells it, you know, on an everyday basis about everything's about getting better he deviated from that a little bit this past Saturday. And I, I thought an example he referred to today, this was not why he was referring to it, but he was talking about Brock Vandergriff, how the quarterbacks looked. Uh, and he said, well, he couldn't really draw anything from Brock Vandergriff because they were putting a bunch of different people in the game, uh, you know, a bunch of different linemen that they wanted to get to play. And, well, you know, Brock Vandergriff, you know, he needs work because, you know, I don't know how the whole quarterback thing's going to shake out, Nobody does, and it's fascinating, and and it's going to be really cool to see how it works out. But at the end of the day, you know, these guys need whatever live work they can possibly get, and there wasn't much meaningful to be had in that game. Now, back to your point, yeah, this game will be handled completely different. You can start with, I don't know how many Georgia ended up dressing for that game. I know they played 90 players, possibly over 90, which is just – unheard of. That's really hard to do. Um, you know, they play, they travel 70 in SEC game. They'll probably travel more than that. But, you know, when you're talking about buying hotel rooms, doing, you know, dressing everybody out and everything that the logistics that comes with playing a game, even just as far away as land, I think you'll have far fewer players. Um, but um, I do think that if, if Georgia gets the opportunity uh, to to get a lead, I don't think it's a beauty contest anymore from like, let's keep the starters in there all the way through the fourth quarter so that we can get two more meaningless touchdowns in a 40-point game so that we look good for the selection committee. I think that's over. I think because of the game you have the next week where rest can be had, uh, you're, you're going to take it. And and that goes back to the the injury situation too. I'm not sure whether they have to have Jamari Sawyer or some of the other guys that we're talking about, uh, certainly not Kendall Milton. Um, so I, I think, you know, you err on the side of caution in those scenarios, and that's what's helped Georgia navigate this entire season. 
Yeah, yeah Chip, Chip, you know, you I've know, been, I've uh, read Mark Bradley's column today about, about, the, about uh, Kirby Smart having it covered. And I, I think we've all kind of looked at it like, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if Stetson Bennett's winning, don't change anything up. And I was pretty on board with that until last Saturday when I noticed JT fired that pass out to Adani Mitchell and it hit him in the shoulder pad like he wasn't used to the ball getting there that fast. And he hit one to the Braxton Hick guy in the hands. And then the, the number 23 guy, Jalen Johnson, wasn't able to catch up to a deep ball. And I said, you know, that timing is just a little bit off. And I'm just not sure that you can expect JT, if you needed to go to him, to just come in and be ready if you're if you're going to try this bullpen scenario versus a rotation. Earlier in the year, we saw Stetson rotate in on the third series against South Carolina. Now we're seeing more of a bullpen. I guess I, I'm, I'm just not sure. And, and maybe this is all a moot point. Maybe Stetson and the offense is going to go out there and just run it down Alabama's throat lead the whole game, and and you won't need to make any quarterback changes. Everybody will be happy because the dogs are winning. But this idea that there's a plan B, that you can just pull JT in, throw him in the game, and everything's just going to clickety-clickety-click, I'm not sure about that after that last Saturday game. And granted, it was just one game. What are your thoughts on the bullpen, uh, I guess is the way, I, the way I'm using it, like a bullpen rotation or using JT as a bullpen or a number two option? Well, you know, the way they're doing it right now, it, 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 it makes a statement that it, clearly he's number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought for sure in this game, I think you and I, you know, we always talk before the games. We're, we're at the same places and, and, uh, and, and we always talk about these things. And, I, you know, I, I would have been pretty uh, – it, it's another reason I don't gamble. I mean, I, I would have bet money that there would have been more of a rotation to get JT more reps in a – uh, in in a regular uh, you know offensive scenario, in other words, you're not worried about trying to run up a lead on anybody, and you're you're running your regular offense at a regular rate early. And uh, you know, I think you and I were talking about maybe two for stats and one for JT, two for stats and one for JT. Um, yeah, I guess that dog isn't hunting anymore. You know, I mean, I I, I don't know. Um, but you talking about right there is the first time I thought about it. But I. I think I'm going to dig into this uh, before we get to the Alabama kickoff sometime is researching how Alabama um, distributed snaps between Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa during that stretch, you know, because obviously that in both games they played Georgia, a quarterback changeup was paramount to the outcome. And, you know, I think that's what Kirby's thinking ultimately I mean, I think ultimately Georgia has not been threatened since the Clemson game. And uh, JT's situation, you know, uh, oblique, uh, 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 Latissimus Dorsey, um, both of those things, um, you know, you didn't need to rush him back because, you know, you kind of had everything well in hand. Now, you couldn't have known that, but that certainly turned out to be the case. And, um you know, maybe you're just at the point where Kirby just doesn't want to mess with a good thing. You know, it's like, well, this it's working this way. Let's just keep going this way and, until it doesn't work. Now, you're right. I mean, look, he's getting those reps in practice. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, uh, you know, Georgia two spots, uh, everything. So, when it, except for when it comes to 11-on-11 11 11 scrimmage, because obviously you can only have 
one one person under center, but when they're working with those receivers every day, talking about timing, whether it be Jalen Johnson or, uh, or or Brock Bowers, they're throwing to them every day, both of them, same routes every day. And so that's going on for sure. So there's no excuse for your timing to be off in a game. It's his job to be ready when he's put in there, regardless of when that is, right? I mean, that's ultimately what the charge is to JT Daniels, just like it was to Stetson Bennett before, or Carson Beck or Brock Vandergrift. You got to be ready to go regardless of the circumstances. Now we can we can argue till the cows come home about whether it's being handled correctly, but the bottom line is is you know this is the way Kirby uh, is handling it, and and only time will tell whether it's going to serve the team as well as it has. But not much to argue with right now. You know, number one undefeated. Average margin of victory, you know, 31-plus points or whatever it is. Yeah, they're winning a lot of ball games, Chip. Uh, they sure are. And, and like I said, maybe there is no need for a plan B. Georgia can just dominate the whole postseason, never fall behind by one score, and stop the Alabama Crimson Tide on offense. Uh, they were able to adjust against Tennessee after trailing in the first quarter. They didn't give up another touchdown until the fourth quarter. I will say this about the defense. I had a bit of a concern today when Christopher Smith still wasn't practicing. And this is an injury that to me, I don't want to say the straw that broke the camel's back, but we've known this secondary has been thin all year, whether it was Jalen Kimber, one of your starting corners going down, uh, which pressed Keeley into action, whether it was uh, Tyke Smith never making that return. We'd all been waiting for the West Virginia All-American keeping Latavius Brini on the field. You know, today Kirby was talking about having confidence in William Poole. I mean, no offense to William Poole, but I I don't think there's anybody left on the bench. I I think we're at the bottom of the bucket there. It's safety when you hit a fourth or fifth year senior that I don't know if we've seen him play all year, you know, and you're getting ready to play Alabama. You know, it's not like you're getting ready to play Arkansas or Kentucky or, uh, you know, Missouri. You're getting ready to play a team that has two of the most dynamic receivers and one of the most prolific pass games in college football at a time when your secondary is really running on fumes from a depth standpoint, Chip. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're as concerned about it as I am, but uh, because that front seven so doggone good, uh, maybe it'll be a moot point. But um, I just kind of look at the timing of this and I think to myself, I don't know if Georgia can be as patient on offense as they have. Yeah, well, yeah, I know what you mean. You're, you're tying it into offense. I mean, my point on that, I, I still think, just going back to the quarterbacks for just a second, um, I do think, like I said, I want to go back and compare this to Jalen and Tua, but I do think ultimately Kirby is wanting to go into the SEC championship game and the college football playoff because I think they're both going to happen regardless of what comes out of this game unless something really wonky happens. But – um, I, I think, you know, just based on the Alabama model, and Kirby's all about that Alabama model, having two distinctly different quarterbacks ready at your disposal is a great thing to have. And I think, you know, they're ready to unleash each to his strengths against anybody. And, you know, that'll start against Alabama. Now, back to your point, you know, I'm not personally very concerned about it, but I guarantee you Georgia is very concerned about, that secondary. And you think about it, I mean, it was already, this was the biggest question mark coming into the season. O-line was a question, receivers were a question. Those have been answered and answered well. 
Um, we can argue about to what degree. And secondary has been wonderful, but you know, how much does that have to do with a front seven that you know one of the best in college football history, or cer- certainly in the 21st century? There's been great teams, and it's re- you know it's hard to get into this kind of argument. The bottom line. Georgia's front seven has protected that secondary. Now, we saw against Tennessee, when you go to the extremes and you got really big receivers and you can push them out there beyond the numbers and force one-on-one coverage, now you got a problem. And, you know, Christopher Smith makes a huge difference. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think he's been just a a great – because this wasn't guaranteed. You know, we weren't – Christopher Smith was one of those guys that just hadn't played. Uh, when when Richard LeCount went out, he was forced into action. Last year, he's responded very well. And I don't know what in the world this knee bruise thing that came up that had him on crutches, but it came out of the blue last Wednesday, and it's not good. And then add to that, I think Tyke Smith would have made a huge difference. First, he's hurt in the preseason. Then he has the season-ending ACL. The whole reason, the whole reason they brought him here they love Latavius Brenny, but look at Latavius Brenny. He looks like a linebacker. I mean, he's he's a big, strong guy. He is not his his forte, his strength is not in coverage, but Tyke Smith is, you know, just like Tyreek Stevenson was when he subbed for Mark Webb in those coverage packages. And that's what you've you've kind of been struggling ever since that happened to find, you know, is it William Poole? Is it moving Christopher Smith down there? Is it um uh, who's the other guy? Uh, uh, Bullard, you know, yeah, uh, Javon Bullard. I mean, they, they're they trying a lot of different – Adam Anderson was playing some out there. He's not around anymore. I mean, they – and you already are at a depth uh, – probably have a depth problem on your hands, so you're right. And, uh, you know, that's there's some really scary matchups uh, in that Alabama game for sure. The more one-on-one that you that they force you into – the more jeopardy your your defense is going to be put in. Chip, I Chip, want to I share a phenomenon, uh, a, beat a beat writer, writer phenomenon that I think that, that, that you'll agree with me on. You and I have been in the business a long time together, different schools, working together here and there, off and on. You know, we're at a point with Georgia football now where this program is so good. It's the number one team. It's unanimous, consensus. Uh, Kirby is built uh, – an incredible program, and we spend our time critiquing it. When we're talking about greatness, when we're talking about perfection, you know, we look for, oh, my gosh, what could go wrong? Now, Chip, you and I have also covered some pretty terrible teams over the years, and I don't know about you, but I'd always look for all the good things to talk about. (laughs) So when we're at this point now where we're critiquing a team or when we're looking around the league at potential threats, it's because the rest of the league matters. It's because yeah. we got to keep an eye on Alabama or Ohio State because Georgia is standing on this mountaintop. And I understand that. You understand it. But I sometimes I see readers or callers or people and they're like, oh, y'all just complain. It's like, no, no. Don't you understand? You have a team to root for now that is the best in the country. And it's about trying to stay king of the hill. And so the stories are about what could get you, what could take, because you're the best. Chip, we could sit here all night and go, yeah, well, you know, Chip, James Cook's pretty good. And you go, yeah, Mike, and uh, Brock Bowers is having a good season. Everybody go, yeah, we know all this. What we're trying to tell you is 
what are the threats and what are the potential stories and what are the things that George is working on to play that perfect game that Kirby says is so elusive that they haven't played yet. We've talked about defense. I want to flip it over to offense now. And I want to ask you about a player because I'm really surprised. I don't want I, I wouldn't say this player has underachieved because I don't think he's been given an opportunity. But I really thought Darnell Washington was going to be a 25 or a 30 catch guy chip, and he's only getting targeted once a game. I, I'm a little concerned about that from the standpoint of this is a guy that wants to go to the NFL next year. And would he stick around if he thinks he's going to get seven or 10 balls next year? Your thoughts on Darnell and why we haven't seen more of this six foot eight, 280 pound force. Well, I think with Darnell, you know, it comes back almost the same thing as the Stets and JT conversation. And this is where, you know, you can, you can, you know, opinion is divided on Kirby smart, but he does live by the edict that, you know, it, it's a production-based business. And so can Darnell Washington produce at a higher rate than Brock Bowers is right now? I don't know. Possibly. Can't you have but, both? Yeah, well, yeah, not really. No, I don't think so. But I, I mean, I think you can certainly play two tight ends, and Georgia does have two tight ends packages, and they do, you know, H-back one of them and flex, and they do a lot of different things. But, you know – we forget about this from the beginning of the year. One of the storylines we were talking about is, you know, there's only one football and, and where are you going to go with it? And, you know, that Georgia does, that's a good problem to have, but there's just, there's only so many, you know, you can go with. So I think Darnell Washington is there, but, you know, you, you can't do that necessarily at the jeopardy of fewer opportunities for Brock Bowers because Brock Bowers has been there from the beginning, hasn't missed a practice, hasn't missed a meeting, hasn't been hurt. Actually, I think Kirby said it today. Somebody asked him, what has been the best thing about Brock Bowers or whatever that's kept He said, healthy. I mean, he just hadn't missed anything. There, There's a reward that goes for that. And it's not, you know, so, so injuries – yeah, you know, people handle them differently. Uh, you know, same thing happened with Jacob Eason and, and Jake Fromm. I mean, you know, Jacob Eason never got a shot after he got healthy again. We, you know, there, there was that argument, same argument that you have right now that, well, Jacob Eason at six foot six, 220 pounds, clearly he's got a better arm than Jake Fromm. Yeah, but Jake Fromm isn't losing. You know, he didn't lose until, you know, until he did. Uh, finally, but you know, he wasn't the reason that they lost. And, uh, and, and I think it's the same situation, man. This is what happens when you stack up five stars. They, and this is, you got to keep incentive. You have to incentivize staying healthy. Now, some of that is luck and stuff. It's also stretching. It's also getting your, uh, getting your rehab work in. It's also, you know, being able to show up to everything and being engaged regardless of what your role is from week to week to week. So I think Darnell Washington is getting, uh, is not getting enough touches, right? But, but how you get him more, I'm not a hundred percent sure. The only way to do that is to, to have less opportunities for Brock Bowers. And I'm not sure he deserves that. Or to throw more passes. And we know that Kirby's comfortable with the run pass ratio that he has with the play. That's a good point as well. Right. 
Chip, what are the if, three things, you know, as, as we get ready for, for really the big game? I've, I've called this the, the postseason preseason, these last two games. These are the preseason yeah. games for the postseason. And, and we saw that how Kirby managed the Charleston Southern game, get everybody in, have a little bit of fun with Jordan Davis running the ball. Uh, this game, we both agree he'll manage differently, probably more closer to the best. Maybe we see two quarterbacks instead of four. Um, but if you're Kirby Smart, what are the three things that you want to see in this game against Georgia Tech that will make you feel better about – and I'm not saying you feel bad about the Alabama matchup, but would give you better feelings about the Alabama matchup? Well, you know, I don't know if you're going to get a lot of that. Um, you know, I mean, Georgia Tech throws the ball um, fairly well, but, you know, not certainly not to any degree. I don't think there's any way they can emulate anything. And they're not going to try to, of course, but – I don't think they'll emulate anything that Alabama does um, offensively, and that's a problem. But re really what you're looking for, I think two things are going to happen in this game in particular. Georgia is is going to look to play more efficiently than they have all year long. That means, you know, uh, penalties, missed assignments, um, special teams in particular. Special teams have been – they, you know, special teams for Georgia have been interesting this year. They're not bad, but they've been a little shaky here and there, you know, just not not as crisp as you're used to seeing them, which is kind of a surprise with an All-American at punter. You should have great returners at Georgia. Um, they've had one short punt return for a touchdown, but otherwise, you know, nothing like you're used to seeing. Um, so I think you're looking for that. Secondly, I also think this is going to be – a fame game, if you will. In other words, Georgia is not going to show Alabama anything that they expect to do. They may even go, this may be bizarro world. Th these may be the bizarro bulldogs. Like we're going to do stuff we don't ever do. Or we're going to be so vanilla that, that you'll be looking for chocolate sauce somewhere just to pour on it so you can take it. I mean, I think that's what you're going to – I mean, this there is no question in my mind. I, I loved everybody's narrative. It was hilarious. I, I'm sure you caught it when Channing Tindall gets asked about, you know, how do you feel about the rivalry games in Atlanta, and he immediately started talking about Alabama. Well, we're 0-2 against them. You know, we got we to gotta get – we got to do what it takes to change that. It was like, no, 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 we're talking about the one this week, you know. There – no matter what they do, there's going to be Bama on their mind this week. There's got to be. And I tell you this, uh, Kirby Smart has done a lot of things to help turn this battleship that is Georgia football into the right direction. And probably one of the biggest uh, that we don't talk about all that much is that entire support arm. And, you know, Georgia has more support staffers than I think any other team in the country, possibly with the exception of Alabama. It's hard to keep track of who's hiring whom, but these are there there is a whole wing of the Butts Bear football complex that is just dedicated to nothing but every play Alabama has played for the last three years with the personnel that they'll have in this game. I mean they will have a breakdown on every single part of it. So you know yeah, they, they, everybody will say, all we're thinking about is Georgia Tech. All we're thinking about is Georgia Tech. You better not be all you're thinking about because they got a whole other army over there at, in Tuscaloosa doing the same thing, right? And and uh, so I, I, I'm so fired up about that matchup 
number one, verse number two. And it's amazing that, you know, here we are going into clean old fashioned hate week. And it's, it's, you know, I wrote it today, you know, it's kind of, it's not really clean old fashioned hate anymore. It's kind of like uh, clean old fashioned dislike, uh, you know, uh, slightly annoyed, the slightly annoyed bowl, you know, I mean, it's just not what it used to be. Now, there's there's many examples. I talked to Coach Dooley earlier today. Uh, there's mi- millions of examples of where tech cropped up on them in a year where they weren't supposed to. Um, you know, 1976, Georgia clinched the SEC championship and they needed a last-second field goal to win. Uh, you know, there's been a bunch of other times like that. 1982, the year that, that last time Georgia was undefeated, I mean, they they won it pretty good, but it wasn't a it wasn't the cakewalk they expected, and they didn't have an SEC championship game the next week. It's sad that Georgia Tech has let this situation get like it has. I mean, I put the onus on them. I understand they have a different um, you know dynamic over there academically and location wise, and but hey, man, it is what it is, and that place has a great football tradition in the middle of as talent rich of an area as you could possibly have. And as we see from Georgia right now, they're not just signing Atlanta anymore. They're signing, you know, Nevada and Washington and California and Florida signing more players from Florida than Florida is. Um, So, you know, it's there for the taking, but they, they got to find somebody who can do with it what they have. And they haven't been able to do that. Yeah, shades of LSU Tulane chip. So uh, Florida fires their coach, and now they're going to be hiring. This is amazing. I looked this up today. This will be the seventh Florida head coach since 2001. Kirby is the second Georgia head coach in 2001. Chip, where do you think Florida goes with this? And did they pull the did they pull the string too fast on Mullen? Do you feel? You know, they might have. I don't know. You know, the majority of my Georgia friends, you know, wanted him to stay forever. There was a funny th- uh, uh, text thread I found myself on, and they were – they were. Uh, this was before he got fired on Sunday. They were starting a GoFundMe page to keep Dan Mullen in, in uh, Gainesville. Um, you know, that, that's, that's always been a, a, a fascinating situation, you know, for years – Coach Dooley used to talk about it. Uh, many coaches um, since then and, and, and up until the 2000s, uh, until you know Spurrier did what he did, was just, that's just a, a sleeping giant. But it's been a difficult situation uh, to find the right guy. And I think this is a really important hire for them. I, I don't know where they're going to go with it. I don't know if, you know, you hear crazy things like, Bob Stoops coming, you know, out of retirement and, and doing it and, and uh, you know, get Spurrier to, to finish things up uh, to, you know, coming after an assistant that's kicking their butt right now, like uh, like Dan Lanning at Georgia and, and uh, certainly um, a lot of other coaches out there, they could possibly go after Lane Kiffin. Um, Lane Kiffin at Florida, I, I just can't – I just can't wrap my mind around that one. Uh, that, that would be really interesting. But – I don't. I don't know what they're going to do. I really don't, and I'm surprised by the situation they've got him. But this comes back to your original point about where Georgia is. You know, 
It's just the alignment of the planets is really good right now. Um, you're in a position you should own the East. And, you know, last year I, I, I might've been the only one uh, with this megaphone, but I was saying, you know, I mean, that was a, a little bit of a fluke last year. I mean, Florida was good. They were really, really good. But gosh, they caught Georgia at a good time. I mean, you know, Jordan Davis out, Richard LeCount out, losing Lewis Seen in the middle of the game. Um, just it was crazy. Uh, George Pickens out, you know, losing Rosemary Jack Sank. Bennett's shoulder gets knocked out of socket on a touchdown play. They're up 14 nothing, and wasn't the same in that game. I mean, that was just crazy how the, the plants last. So I thought Florida overreacted to the whole, everything that happened, you know, they go eight and four, they ended up eight and four and they give him this big, rich contract and they're beating drums all over the place about how Florida's back. And I was kind of like, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I keep looking at these head to head recruiting battles and I don't see you winning many of them. And, uh, you know, so how, what are you doing? Are you just smarter than everybody else about those three stars that Georgia overlooked or four stars in some cases? I don't know. That's tough. It's going to be a tough job. And with everybody else out there hunting for coaching talent, it's going to be really, really competitive as well. It's going to be real competitive, Chip. And, and I think Tennessee with Josh Heupel impressed me in one year. I'm not saying he can make a gigantic step because I think they really need Hendon Hooker to come back there. Uh, you know, he's number two in the nation now in passing. I mean, the kid is 17 to 20 and they beat put 60 on the scoreboard i mean that that style offense for what it's worth uh i don't know if people got to catch up to it or get more depth maybe you know but but whatever they're doing it is working for them i don't know if i think they're going to be a serious threat to georgia next year or maybe not even the year after but it looks like he's got a system that he can recruit to and those receivers want to play in that system. And uh, and NIL, you know, I guess before I let you go, you and I haven't really talked a lot about it since before the season. We've, we've watched how it's played out some. I had this thought, Chip. You know, Boosters Forever and Ever gave money to the school for facilities and to sponsor coaches' salaries or AD positions. I guess they do it at Georgia. I think that's one of the most curious things I've ever seen, the – <laughs> they have a AD position named after a donor. How far away are we from boosters just giving money to pay players? I mean, just just start an above board fund. Like I saw Ole Miss. Uh, if if you're academically eligible at Ole Miss, they got a four million dollar fund. They paid everybody like six thousand dollars. Just just flat out pay them off a of boot. And if you're a booster, you know rather than give a million dollars. Why not just give Nicobe Dean a million dollars to come back for another year? Yeah. And, and and ask him to do a endorsement for you on his Twitter or something. I mean, you don't think that's going on already? Uh I mean, I do. I mean, you know, NIL's been interesting. I, I started to say fascinating, but it hasn't been as fascinating as I expected it to be, <laughs> right? You know, I thought the coolest thing was the Kansas kid who's caught the two-point conversion. Uh, you know, to beat Texas. I love those stories. I think that's great. You know, hey, man, go go, go pump some Applebee's. You what know, what about the Kentucky basketball freshman getting a Porsche chip? That isn't fascinating. Yeah, well, it's fascinating, but that, that's the one that, that's icky to me. 
that's icky to me. And that's, you know, there is a lot of, there's a large ick factor in here. And, uh, you know, I'm old school from that standpoint of, you know, I mean, I always kind of rolled my eyes at amateurism, you know, uh, period. But especially since it became such a, a money oriented sport with the, with the network contracts and stuff. But yeah, I, I they've got to get a handle on this and it's, I, I don't know if they can. I mean, it's the, the toothpaste out of the tube now. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and guys like Jordan Davis, I mean, you know, I, I wish they were more transparent about it. I wish we could get transparency in this and, and you know, you're never going to get it, but like, I would just love to know, what all is Jordan Davis, you know, what what all has he made money from this year? You know, I, you're just driving through Atlanta, you know, and all of a sudden you see a billboard and there's, you know, hey, there's Jordan Davis up there. I wonder what he got for that, you know. I, I don't know. It, it, it's uh, it's problematic and it's complicated. And uh, the NCAA clearly is not going to be the answer. So it's going to have to be self-policed. And, you know, can you imagine these guys self-policing each other? I mean, uh, it's it's crazy. It's it's difficult. It is difficult, Chip. Listen, I know we got to let you go, folks. I got to tell you, you know, I, I always tell Chip I'm going to have him on for 15 or 20 minutes and I keep him twice as long and I, I, I need to let him go or I won't oh, be. Gosh, able to I see up there how long we've been on. Wow. Uh, well, it, it kind of goes, you and I get to talk <laughs> and it kind of goes fast, Chip. We've obviously, uh, you know, in, in the way we talk on the show, just so people know, it's just like we do whenever we're in the press box or traveling anywhere together so i want to thank chip for coming on now and, and appreciate it chip i want to take a break now and certainly everyone watching knows exactly uh you know why we take this moment to give appreciation to our sponsor Ingles. you know when so long ago there was a lot of uncertainty still still some but uh boy i'll tell you what uh we were all in dire straits and one thing we could count on was was knowing that our local Ingles was going to come through with those products and have those frontline workers for us to Get us through those tough times. And I want to take a moment now to appreciate our sponsor, Ingles, tonight. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. We stand together for worse and for better We'll always have your back Open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand Community strong Boy, I love it. Jermaine King just nailed it there. Community strong. He, he said it before they even sang the lyric. And Jacob O'Neill, Hugh Nash. Uh, John McGraw, you know, you recognizing the sponsor in that way, that that's big, right? Ingles, you know, needs to know that the Dog Nation uh, has the support and appreciation. So I appreciate that from all of you. I, I want to run a theory by you, you know, because I'll say things from time to time and it'll get repeated in a dozen different ways. I'm not against Georgia playing Georgia Tech. I want to be clear on this, but there's a concept that I've brought or thought or, or at least witnessed since I've been covering Georgia. And what I've seen with Kirby Smart, remember, I'm coming in off the street fresh after four years. I've always seen Georgia from the Auburn point of view or the Alabama or the Tennessee or the Michigan State. I've been strong for the Honolulu advertiser when Hawaii played Georgia. So I've seen Georgia from several ways outside in. 
But now seeing it from inside out, I'm fascinated to see a program that's on the cusp of a potential football dynasty. I don't know if they'll do it. I don't know if they can sustain. But Kirby's got them above the pack right now. I just posted a story on Dog Nation tonight about where Kirby Smart has this program. And Kirby didn't get there by doing everything the same way. There's a lot of things behind the scenes in Buttsmere that are being handled differently. And they're being run in a way that leads to championships. So what I guess what I'm saying here is, is Georgia scheduling in a championship manner? I'm going to leave Jacksonville out of the discussion tonight. We've talked about it on the show. You've talked about it. But as far as Georgia Tech goes, now that you're adding more of these home and homes with the Oklahomas of the world, the UCLA's of the world, you know, this is one more non-conference game every other year that you're not playing in Sanford Stadium when you add these sort of elite Power Five conference schools. And I'm just not sure that playing a home and home with Georgia Tech advances the ball on championship football. I don't know if that's part of the formula. I don't know if it helps you. When the Georgia-Georgia Tech game was set up to be last in the season, there wasn't a conference championship game. And I feel like rivalries meant more before the playoff format came in. Because it used to be at the end of the year, two teams, or maybe four, might be in contention for a national championship. And the bowl selection committee at the Sugar, the Rose, the Orange, you know, they would cut these early deals to get these teams set up. And then we would see who would win the bowls and then we'd all vote, right? But it wasn't as clear cut as now where there's these playoff games. Um, you know, I, quick, quick sidebar. I was talking to the late Lavelle Edwards five or six, seven years ago. I can't remember. We were doing, I was doing a story with him. And I asked Lavelle Edwards about playing Michigan in the 1984 Holiday Bowl. And I don't know how many people remember that scenario, the year that BYU won the national championship. And I was always curious and I was always mad at BYU because I thought, oh, look, they stayed and hid in the Holiday Bowl rather than going to the Sugar Bowl and playing a one-loss team or the Orange Bowl, you know. And so I asked Lavelle Edwards, why did you guys play a one-loss team? Why did you play, I think they played a four-loss Michigan in the Holiday Bowl. I said, why didn't you go play one of those teams? He said, they wouldn't let us. I said, what? He said, we called and guaranteed tickets to the Sugar Bowl, and they wouldn't let us play in the game. They had their two teams and they didn't want undefeated BYU. And they tried to get in the Orange Bowl. And they didn't want them either. And y'all already know that the Rose Bowl wasn't letting anybody but the Big Ten and the Pac-10 in prior to Roy Kramer and the BCS. So BYU didn't have a choice. They weren't given an opportunity. So they played in the Holiday Bowl. And the best team they could get was like a four-loss Michigan. And they beat them. And they won the national title. That's how things used to be. All right? Playing Georgia Tech, Clemson playing South Carolina, Florida playing Florida State, no longer makes sense to do that at the end of the season. These are games that if they're going to continue to be played, 
need to be played at the beginning of the year because the end of the season is when we're chopping it up and figuring out conference champions. Georgia needs to play Florida that last week or Georgia needs to play South Carolina, in my opinion, and play those rivals, those non-conference rivals, almost like a preseason, you know, a little bit like we saw with Georgia Clemson. One of the fun things and cool things about Georgia Clemson this year to me was that it didn't matter if either team lost, they could still win a national title. Now, Georgia Tech isn't of that stature. That's another part of the problem. It's, it's, it's nothing to gain and everything to lose. And playing in their stadium is nothing to gain. You are 70 miles from Atlanta already. You're playing in Atlanta the next week. It's not like you're not getting exposure in Atlanta. Maybe there was a time before every game was on TV, but that's not it anymore. And you heard me reference the LSU Tulane. And, and that rivalry kind of went by the wayside. Why? Because LSU didn't need to play Tulane anymore. It didn't do any good for them. I'm sure the people in New Orleans missed it. Maybe even some people out in Louisiana. But nobody else in the country did. When Georgia didn't play Georgia Tech in football last year, I don't, I don't know anybody that really missed that game. When we talk about it this year, we're talking about it like it's some glorified scrimmage. Well, which players is Kirby going to want to play? What does he want to work on? I think that's sad. If you play it at the beginning of the year, at least it's both teams are zero and zero. And maybe, who knows, maybe, you know, Georgia Tech's good. But right now, after losing 55 to zero, that's, that's embarrassing for Georgia Tech. And it doesn't really benefit Georgia. My thought, and I'm with Chip, that playing teams like Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech enables you to rest a few guys. But something else happens. And Kirby's talked about this. He's talked about wanting to maintain the rhythm. And he said, when you play an FCS team, you know, it's hard to maintain that focus in practice. And he talked about that last week. Now he's saying this week's going to be different, but is it, you know, Chip told you that anecdote about Channing Tindell today being asked about the rivalry in Atlanta. And he thinks they're talking about Alabama the next week. I don't know that the Georgia tech thing I don't know if it really resonates with these players. I, I, I don't know that. Some of them, yes, but they're all rivalries. South Carolina thinks they're a Georgia rival. Tennessee thinks they're a Georgia rival. Auburn thinks they're a Georgia rival. Florida thinks, I mean, half your darn schedule, and Kirby talked about that too. Like, you can't keep going. It's a big rivalry, guys. It's a big rivalry, guys. It's not how it works. So I, I just want to be clear that, I would be fine with Georgia playing Georgia Tech, but under two provisions. One, I think you need to play the game at the beginning of the year. And two, I don't think it should be home and home anymore. I, I think that the home games at Sanford Stadium are too valuable to just give away. And playing at Georgia Tech and Bobby Dodd Stadium, I, you know, I just don't see it. What would I do? I would do a rotation of in-state games in Sanford Stadium every year. First or second game. One year it's Tech, one year it's Georgia State, one year it's Savannah State, and one year it's Georgia Southern. Because I just don't see the value of playing Georgia Tech. Remember, it didn't help you get into the playoff. You know, people, well, it's a Power 5 school. In title only. No one looks at that game and goes, oh, let's give Georgia credit for beating Georgia Tech. Nobody in the college football committee is doing that. Okay? Nobody cares. 
So that's my thought on that. I just I wanted to be clear on that. I, I wanted to uh, to explain why I think that the Georgia Georgia Tech home and home at the end of the year has kind of jumped the shark. Um, and the bottom line is, I think Georgia needs to schedule more in line for championships. And sometimes you can't worship at the ashes of tradition. Things change. There's a lot of things that used to be traditions, you know, uh, that are no longer because we evolve and because circumstances change. Now that there's this SEC championship game at the end of the year, now that there's a college football playoff, I think you need to make decisions accordingly that give you the best opportunity to maximize your team situation um, at the end of the year. So that, that's kind of my thought on that. Uh, I'm looking forward to a weekend full of games. Alabama-Auburn, to me, is always fascinating. Uh, I think that's a fantastic rivalry. Uh, I think that's the best college football rivalry that's going. I know Michigan's going to play Ohio State in a game that, uh, you know, certainly there's a lot more on the line. The winner probably in the playoff. The loser probably out. Uh, that said, the winner of that game still got to beat the, the West team, I believe Wisconsin or Iowa. Wisconsin's playing good football right now. But to me, Ohio State, I jumped Ohio State over Alabama to number two in my pool because I was that impressed with Ohio State. I knew they'd beat Michigan State. Michigan State's doing it with mirrors. Michigan State does not have top 10 or probably top 20 talent. But Mel Tucker is one heck of a coach, and those Spartans were bought in. And when they beat Michigan, they got a big boost off of it. Uh, they're probably going to lose to Penn State again this weekend also, by the way, because uh, they really just don't have that much talent. But this Michigan-Ohio State game is big. But, boy, Alabama-Auburn, uh, you know, anything can happen in that game and has, right? Do you realize that Alabama has not won at Auburn since 2015? Is that amazing, right? Alabama has won three national championships since the last time they won a game in Auburn. So keep that in mind this weekend. Uh, the Tide – is dynamic with the receivers. We talked about that. Georgia run game is going to have to really be effective and punish to set up the play action. I just don't know if Georgia wins a shootout with the current offense. Certainly Kirby not planning to get in a shootout. And you know, there's not a guarantee that Bryce Young is going to be able to put points on the board like he has all year. Uh, but, you know, he's mobile, he's fast but he's never seen a pass rush like this. Even though Georgia's right now, Nolan Smith with the elbow and Adam Anderson out, Channing Tindell's still there. Trayvon Walker is still there. Um, Devontae Wyatt is still there. There's still a lot of great front seven players. The back, we talked about the concern about Christopher Smith. Boy, keep your eye peeled. Keep your ear to the ground. I think he's a very important player in that secondary. So, We'll look forward to, to monitoring that for you. Uh, a lot of good content up. Uh, before we go, I, I wanted to go over my stock report with you. Uh, I know this is something that, you know, a lot of you seem to enjoy uh, when we talk about the players whose stock is up and the players whose stock is down. Um, I think Brock Bowers is, to me, uh, a gold ship stock. He's been unbelievable. Uh, he's had an incredible impact. He's already set the record for 
catches in one season by a tight end touchdown catches. He is on the brink of breaking Orson Charles receiving yardage on the season. He's 25 yards away for the single season record for receiving yardage. We could be witnessing the greatest tight end in Georgia football history in Brock Bowers. Jordan Davis, another one stock way up. Uh, quite a senior day for Jordan. A lot of attention in the limelight. Continues to play well. He's a finalist for the Nagurski, which goes to the best defensive player in the country. It's based in Charlotte, North Carolina. That'd be a really nice award for Jordan to win. I think Alabama's Will Anderson and that o o Oregon defensive end are the two other finalists. And then he was a semifinalist for the Outland Trophy, the only defensive player among the six, and that goes to the best lineman on offense or defense. So an honor just to be a semifinalist. James Cook, to me, uh, I'm at a point worth Cook where I want to see him get 20 touches a game. You know, he's really come on the second half of the year. I think he's your most dynamic runner right now and most versatile. And Broderick Jones, and I know Kirby likes to call out these freshmen, I don't see anybody coming in from that left side. I think he's done a bang-up job. And when Jamari comes back, I'll be curious to see where Jamari comes back. Does he come back at tackle? Does he come back at guard? Uh, those will stock up. We mentioned Channing Tindell, another sack last week. Lad McConkey, um, boy, I think we're going to say this name a lot the next three years. I see Lad being a team captain. I think he's your Hunter Renfro. Two catches for 24 yards. And his punt returns 34 and 28 blew me away. Jake Camarda, we just don't give this guy enough love and credit. He's having an unbelievable year. Flips the field, you know, puts the other team's offenses in a bad spot. Uh, Jake Camarda will be sorely missed after this year. I, I said stock even on the quarterback efficiency. I just 20, this was collectively, but 20 of 37 with two interceptions against an FCS team. Didn't really do much for me. And granted, it wasn't set up to, I suppose, if you're going to play four quarterbacks, it's going to be hard to get in any kind of rhythm. But still, I thought Charleston Southern was a pretty awful team. And uh, I was a little disappointed. It was only 7-7 seven to seven the whole second half. You would have thought, I would have thought that Georgia's twos and threes would have been able to outscore. But that's just me. So that was the stock even. So, you know, that's that. And, and again, we do these analysis and, and you know, good and bad try to provide you with that equilibrium equilibrium, and that feedback. Uh, you know, I do a lot of interviews. I think I've told you guys my itinerary before. Uh, Monday mornings at 8 o'clock, I'm on 92.9 in Atlanta. Uh, 8.40, I'm on at Athens, the ref. Uh, 2.15, I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, of course, we have this show. Tomorrow morning at 8.20, I'll be in Nashville's WNSR. Uh, I'll do Birmingham's WJOX tomorrow at 1230. Uh, Wednesday, I'll do BA's Dog Nation Daily right here. And then uh, Thursday, I do a Sirius XM radio show on the SEC Network, uh, 830 AM. Uh, oftentimes on Fine Bomb Thursday. This week, I'll be on Friday uh, on set 415 from Auburn. Um, and, and I give a lot of opinions and a lot of thoughts. And uh, I try to provide context. But I don't always do a good job of that. And certainly um, I could do a better job with providing context when I give my snappy answers. Uh, but just like Twitter, you know, if you just you just hear it, you don't hear the question, you don't hear the context, it can be hard to follow. So I encourage all of you to follow me on Twitter at Mike Griffith 32. Uh, send me emails, send me direct messages. I'm glad to give you guys feedback. If you've got a question. Be more than happy to answer it. You guys know I'm going to shoot straight. 
I'm going to try to tell it like it is. Um, probably could use a little bit more tact from time to time. But, you know, as my buddy said, if you did that, then you wouldn't be Mike. So Mike is Mike. It's Monday night. I've enjoyed the show tonight. I loved having Chip on. Um, you know, longtime writer, great historian, good friend. I'm glad that you all enjoyed him. I appreciated the kind comments. While Chip was on, he didn't say it, but I know he appreciated it. Um, so that was really cool that you guys treated Chip well. And, uh, and I think he, he gave you his best tonight too. And he went double the time that he said he would. So I appreciated that as well. So uh, all in all, just a great Monday. I'm going to go turn on the rest of this Georgia basketball game. The dogs are in a dog fight with Virginia, uh, Tony Bennett. They're down 47 to 46 in the legends classic Tom Crean. He's thrown these 10 guys together. And they fought against Tech. They weren't going to beat Tech. Tech had too many guys coming back. But tonight, uh, Crean's got these guys balling and playing hard. I, I don't know if they can keep it together. There's 10 new guys. It's going to take a minute to play well. But you can tell he solved uh, that pack that pack defense that Virginia played. Crean's always solves it. But the guys just got to make shots. You know, he just got to get some players, man. And we'll see if they can do it tonight. But everybody, tomorrow night, Connor and coverage. Wednesday night, Centel. Uh, no cover for this week. Uh, but check us out Saturday. Um, or excuse me, check me out Friday at 4.15 on SEC Network. And if you got any questions, hit me up. Give me that Twitter follow at MikeCriffith32. Have a wonderful Monday night, everybody.